You're listening to the Dear Baseball Gods podcast. I'm Dan Blewett, and on this show, you'll learn advanced concepts in baseball explained simply. I'm here to guide you on your baseball journey and help you paddle through what's now an ocean of misinformation, guruism, and overly technical diamond babble. Welcome back to Dear Baseball Gods. So today, this episode is going to be titled Stick to Sports. And it's uh, something that you've heard in the news. Um, LeBron James, who admirably has uh, been outspoken about certain injustices, um, conduct in the White House, stuff like that. And this is by no means a political political topic today. Uh, But I released a, a letter about my experience with racism in sports. And my interpretation of what the young athletes I've coached over the years um, see in it and what they know about it. And this letter was in absolutely zero way uh, political. It was really just essentially what I would say to a kid if I was actually in the dugout coaching right now. Um, Because I'd thought about a lot of different things uh, in the past week. Obviously, I live in Washington, D.C., so the protests are omnipresent. And uh, I went there yesterday and, and, and was a part of it. But um, the, the conversation and, and my role in this whole thing as someone who does have a platform, who does um, influence young people, I wasn't sure what my contribution would be um, until I thought about some of the kids that I, I left back in Illinois. And if, again, I was sitting there with them, how we would talk about this situation and everything that I wrote in that letter, and if you haven't read it, uh, it will be in the, the notes uh, of this podcast. So you can click the link and, and read it. Um, everything that I would tell them, I said in that letter. And again, it, it, I have no political affiliation. I think the Democrats and Republicans are equally corrupt. I don't pay much attention to politics. Um, I do have opinions on Trump's conduct, but it's not honestly a, really a political thing. So it didn't come from a place of that in any in any sense at all. Really, it came from me having some of these tougher conversations uh, with kids, which I've had a lot of those over the years, and a couple I mentioned in the book, or not in the book, in, 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 the, in the article. And so one of the emails, and I should have expected, sometimes I do things not realizing what the implications are. And of course, I sent this out to almost 4,000 people on my email list. I posted on Facebook and Twitter and my Instagram. And uh, obviously, I should have been prepared for some people not agreeing with it. Although I think objectively what I wrote, um, you really can't disagree with much. It was my experience and uh, it's not necessarily true or false. It's objectively true. So, but that being said, one of the responses, actually the first response that I got was from someone that I work with who um, has always been extremely nice to me. Um, I think a lot of him and his, and his daughter, we've worked together uh, but he said, you know, I, this is the first of your emails that I'm not going to be sending to my daughter. He said, stick to sports, you know, stick to coaching. He said, you're a great coach, stick to coaching. Um, and that is just like such, uh, it, it's something that we need to talk about here because as parents, you need to understand just how influential, how influential your coaches will be on your kid. They're, your kid is not going to ask you about certain things. They're not going to ask you, they're not going to ask their teacher about certain things. So just like Starbucks is more than a coffee shop, Starbucks is a third place. And that's how uh, 
Howard Schultz has always envisioned it. And that's why I used to work in Starbucks all the time because they're a good place to be that's not home and that's not work. You can be in a Starbucks and, and meet a friend, but you can also be there and work and you can do, it's another place to hang out. And so coaches occupy that same space. And there's lots of kids, and I'll, I'll share one quick story. You know, I have strong views on religion. I, I studied philosophy in college. I'm not gonna share my views right now because it's not relevant. And I don't push my religious views on anyone, nor do I ever really bring it up. Um, but once in a while, like if you've worked with me in the past long enough, especially in my gym and in, in person, it'll have slowly snuck out and you might've asked me about it or whatever. And I, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you. Um, so one day, one of my players asked me, he said, Hey Dan, like, you know, this is where I am on religion. Um, I know you're this, uh, what do you think? And we had a conversation about it and we had a conversation about how I came to my current religious views. And I didn't sway him any direction. I just told him that I gave him some of um, the, the talking points that I had considered in, in my journey in, in coming to what I am. Um, and uh, I urged him to find his own truth, essentially. But I gave him the go-ahead to do so because some kids will come from an extremely religious family who there is no other opinion. And, you know, they might have some other view that's not religious and there is no other opinion, but I think everyone needs to come to their own truth in their own life. And everyone does at some point, whether it's from rebelling after they get out of the house, you know, once they leave from college, you know, I think parents a lot of times can put extremely strict provisions on kids to keep them safe, but ultimately everyone's going to find their way. And so really, I think the, the path, and this is something I'm thankful of my own parents was, it was just like, yeah, you can't do certain things. Like we're going to protect you and keep you safe and we're going to have rules for you and obviously all this stuff. But at the same time, when a lot of big decisions came up, my parents just talked through it with me and they didn't tell me what to do. They just said, you know, these seem to be the facts, you know, make the best decision that you can. And so I've always taken that same approach with kids. And sometimes because kids know that they'll ask me hard questions that they wouldn't ask their parents, that they wouldn't ask someone else, that I'm that third place. I'm their, their Starbucks essentially. And so it's uh, my only urging in this in this um, this talk today is just that parents, you need to respect that space and understand that your kids absolutely will do that, whether you want them to or not. And so you want to find good people to coach your kids. And it's but it's not just it's not just the, the same kind of people, because you don't necessarily want to find everyone along the way who's just going to confirm their own biases. You want to find people who will will expand your kids' minds if they can. Obviously, with baseball teams, that's going to be tougher, you know, easier said than done because you're just looking for a good baseball coach and a baseball organization. You're not going to be, you know, interviewing. It's not like you can. This isn't uh, private schools. It's not looking for a lawyer. It's not looking for a therapist. It's, you know, you're going to have less choices. But I would say that you're, you're lucky if you have someone who's going to give your kid advice and help them be a little more worldly and also share the experiences that they've had because you know growing up on the east coast is a very different upbringing than growing up on in the midwest uh religious views are, are, are a significant piece of that i mean the diversity here in dc as i walk out of my house and walk three city blocks i'll see people of five different races every hundred feet 
You know, it's very different than in the town I grew up in, which is a nice, safe town, and the town I lived in the last 10 years, which is a nice, safe town, um, but very differently diverse. It's not there's bad people there. It's just the diversity isn't there. And so you're not exposed to different ideas and you're not exposed to um, just like the way people grow up and different way people dress, the way they talk, the way they look, and of course, skin color. So, you know, all those things considered, coaches really do stretch the minds of young people and they're there to be hopefully mentors and good influences. And of course, not all all of them are. And of course, if you're, you know, you have a extremely strong view on, you know, matter X and your coach has the opposite view and your family's been really trying to, you know, impress that matter X is really important to us as a family. That's what you should do. And, and another coach wants to unravel that that's not necessarily the right thing either, but kids should know what, um, what varying viewpoints exist and they should listen to other people's perspectives. And that letter that I, I wrote this weekend was just an extension of that. It was, look, this is, I've played a lot of baseball and I've had black teammates and I've had conversations because one of my black teammates, he, uh, I, I wrote a story on him in my book because of how much I admire him. And that story is important. And it was important to me, even at 26, continuing to shape my views of race. And I, you know, he and I live together. He's just a, a person that I admire just in, in so many different facets of life. And that experience is something that needs to get passed on to other kids that you're, there are people from all walks of life who are really good, impressive people. And so, you know, when you start to think about where you stand on some of these issues, which again, this is not a political issue, you know, like race in America is not a political issue. Some people are politicizing it, but, you know, I was thinking a lot about this as I got a lot of essentially political backlash from some people, which was, oh, you must be a liberal Democrat. It's like, well, what if I just voice the opinion that I really like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? And then someone says, oh, you know, Democrats love peanut butter and jelly. It didn't make my, my opinion political because political pundits like peanut butter and jelly too. Like it, it, that's just not how it works. It depends on what place this is coming from. And this came from in no way a political stance. And so I think parents have to be cautious about who their kids spend their time with because everyone has ghosts in their closets. Everyone can slip up. I know I've said stupid stuff. I've had to apologize for at times. Um, you know, we all do that stuff and, uh, you have to choose your kids role models as best you can, but Coaches are going to be always extremely influential. And a lot of coaches, and, and there's movies about this. I mean, um, just how important some of these coaches are, especially when kids don't have a great family life at home. You know, they become that father figure. And I know I've had, I have an amazing set of parents who are still together, who I'm extremely thankful for. Um, but I also have just like a huge collection of not who I would say father figures, but they are kind of father figures. They're just different. Like no one would ever replace my dad. I didn't need a second father figure, but everyone needs other mentors, just people from a different background with different perspectives. I had them in my business, in my town um, that I lived in, in in Bloomington, Illinois. I had so many people that helped me. um, And I had so many coaches over the years that helped me and teammates. I mean, you have so many influences that show you what you're supposed to be in society and what you could be. And so this whole stick to sports idea is just so incredibly misguided because if you're only out there teaching sports skills, you're missing huge opportunities, just huge opportunities to actually reach people in a meaningful way. Because at the end of the day, and 
you know, we all learn this more and more. As soon as you retire, I like all the stories that I tell from my career, they have nothing to do with sports skills. I don't even tell like my greatest moments. I tell my worst moments. And I, I reminisce with my teammates about just like fun times we had and just laugh at who they were and their personalities. I've had some crazy, it's just crazy teammates and the times in the dugout and just goofing around. Those are the things you remember and the lessons you learn from your coaches. And so really at the end of the day, I don't give a shit about baseball skills. I just don't. I don't care about softball skills. And anyone who knows me really, really well knows that this whole time, everything I do on the web has been a plot. It's been a plan to reach people with a bigger message than just pitching mechanics. But I, I reach people with pitching mechanics so that they trust me. And so they listen and they get what they want, which they want that right now. But at some point, their kid's going to hit a roadblock in his career and they're going to need something more than just pitching mechanics. And then they're going to turn to me. And that's the chance. And that's what this whole thing is about. So if you didn't read my letter, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, I think it's important, but it's also just one person's opinion. It's not the final word. It's just my experience. And it's from a lot of different places and from my long journey in sports. And uh, so it's just one thing to consider, but I think it's worth considering. And, you know, it's not just those really big things because I would never try to convert anyone in religion. I would never like do any of that stuff, oh, but we'll talk about it, right? If some a kid wants to talk about it, but there's so many tertiary, really important things, just like dating advice, just like school advice, just like st- the daily struggle that kids need a, a role model to look up to and, and talk through little things about. I mean, it's uh, it's hard understanding like how to respond to bullies, how to respond to you know, when friendships are a struggle, there's just so many interpersonal challenges that young athletes go through that coaches can help to. And if, if they're not, and if they're not using that platform to help, if they're just sticking to sports, then it just, again, it just leaves so much on the table. You know, I, like I always cherish just giving little pieces of like how to talk to girls advice, like, Hey, be nice to them. That's a good start. You know, like look them in the eye. Um, they're not going to magically come up to you like little stuff like that. Um, can just give kids the courage to go do things and like take control of their lives, you know, or like how to communicate better with their, their buddies or to talk with their parents when they feel like, you know, the pressure of their sport or whatever is getting too much. You know, they learn communication skills and they learn uh, lots of different things that they just need. They're just little tools in their tool bag. So um, we're going to wrap this section up, but again, I hope that you as a parent understand just how influential your coaches are, whether that's for good or bad and, only you'd be the judge, but the whole stick to sports thing, it just, it just can't be that way. All right. So for today's 90 second mindset, this one's going to be for players and it's along the same vein as what we just talked about. And, uh, it's really about speaking up in the dugout. And this is a hard thing. It's a really hard thing to do because you don't want to rock the boat with your peers. Um, but there were two issues and I'll, I'll share them as briefly as I can, uh, that I had to address. So number one in college summer ball, we had a teammate in, of course, in college summer ball, you come from all over the country, right? So we had a teammate, uh, he was from, I think the Carolinas and he was our closer and he, you know, summer balls kind of lax, but he started actually drinking out of a flask during games, like thought it was kind of funny. He was kind of cool. And none of us wanted to rock the boat. And then he blew like a four run lead 
and we were all pissed we were all livid and we ended up kind of like telling our coach who we were close with who i'm still close with and rather than and this was after the fact like nothing happened like we didn't rat him out quote unquote and he was pissed at us and he said that was on you he's like this isn't a tattletale situation this is you guys handle that he's like you don't have to go to your coach with everything that's not how this works it's not the police he said there's a certain amount of stuff that you as players have to handle yourself he said and that was one of them and you guys screwed up and you lost that game because you let him slip below the standard that this team is held for he's like who drinks during a game he's like that's crazy it's like you guys should have handled that you screwed that up and he was right and there's another time where my teammate uh and this is a longer story so i won't get into it, but my my teammates were just hanging my pitcher out to dry and not putting up good at bats to get runs when we'd had a really long dry spell and this pitcher was fighting to basically not be released and uh i ended up having words with some teammates and it almost became a, a full-on brawl in the dugout and I didn't handle it as as well as I could have, but I was fed up, and I wanted to say I wanted something to be known that their efforts were just poor. It wasn't that they were just getting beaten; they were just taking bad at bats, giving at bats away, and it just was a poor effort for a teammate that was battling that I didn't want to see go home. And so, players, you have to you're going to feel at times that you don't want to speak up, and you're also going to feel at times that this is the time to speak up. And when you feel that that premonition, that tug of your conscience, you need to do it. And you won't regret doing it. You just need to try to find the most constructive way possible. And sometimes that's calling people out in front of everyone else. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's taking to the side and saying, look, man, like that, that's got to be better. You can't show up your teammate like that. Like you can't show up late. Like you got to be here in uniform, whatever it is. And there's this hard part about, oh, well, I'm not a team captain, so I can't do that. But you have to put that aside when you know it's for the good of the team, because ultimately leadership comes from those who just decide to do what's right and decide to take to take the reins, not ask for them. So in today's like three minute, 90 second, 90 second mindset, just consider your role as a teammate and, and your ownership in your team and how you can be better going forward about speaking up when things aren't right. All right, now it's time for our listener Q&A portion of the show. Questions from the pious. Pious means to be devoutly faithful, and if you're devout to the game of baseball, then you're exactly the kind of person I want to hear from. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, please email a voice recording to hello at danblewitt.com. Okay, so our question today comes from Bob. Hey, Dan. What's the best way to go about introducing and teaching curveballs to my 13-year-old travel team? Thanks. So my stance on curveballs is this. I don't prefer to t- teach them to 13-year-olds. I have in the past when a parent asked me and a kid asked me and they're like, hey, you know, our coach is insisting that he throw a curveball, so it's going to happen. Uh, can you at least teach them the right way to do it? I said, okay. Uh, but I give a lot of warnings about when to use it and when not to use it. And so here are my overall warnings knowing that many of you around the country can have varying views of when when you should start throwing a curveball and i'll address that at the end as well so number one your curveball should not be more than a 15 percent of the time pitch when you're young and the reason is because it's really hard to hit for pit for hitters and the problem with that and that seems like a good thing is that you'll fall in love with a curveball 
and you'll just be able to go to it whenever you want and punch a guy out and get out of jams. And then you'll do that for a while with a little league quality curveball even. And then the problem is that you'll find yourself years down the road, not being able to locate, not having a change up. And because you basically didn't have to learn all these other skills because you just had a curveball and you could go to it whenever you wanted and get what you needed. So basically the way I would liken this to is, you know, I think the best woodworkers in the world, they're great with these like tertiary hand tools, right? They're not carving out these these masterpieces of, of furniture or, or wood carvings or whatever. All this stuff that's incredibly beautiful, handmade stuff comes from hand tools. It comes from, uh, you know, chisels and these little intricate saws and all these little fine tools that they have to learn to use over time. Sure, they might cut out the big piece, you know, with the table saw or whatever. And, and it's not to say they don't use the power tools, but the really amazing craftsmen, they still have to do the work with their hands. And in, and in pitching, the curveball is like using a chainsaw for everything. You can just hack down a forest. You can just do so much with such a powerful tool. But then when you get to high school, your curveball might not actually be as good as you thought it was because it only really worked on little ears. And so it might not be a, a an enduring quality pitch, number one. And you'll need more than just a curveball to get by in high school and especially college and, of course, pro ball. So... When we over rely on a curveball young, we set ourselves up to only have this one high powered tool and we don't end up learning any of the other ones. And then when we need them a couple of years later, we don't have them because, all right, I didn't have to throw to the, the corners. I didn't have to locate a changeup. I didn't have to learn to pitch behind the count sometimes because I could just throw this curveball and just get guys out. And so that's a really big developmental issue with learning curveballs too young because you fall in love with it. Anytime you're in a jam, go to the curveball. Anytime you're in a jam, go to the curveball. Anytime you're in a jam, go to the curveball. And that's not a good thing to do. You can get out of jams with fastballs and changeups and well-located, executed pitches. So I think the right time to learn a curveball is 14. In that summer, you should learn it. And by learning it, it doesn't mean relying on it. It means start throwing it, You know, be taught it by someone who knows how to teach it, and start throwing it every day when you play catch. You know, at low speeds, trying to get the spin, get feedback from your partner, um, and throw it on a daily basis as part of your catch play. Every time you play catch, you should be throwing from your pitching mechanics a certain amount of time. You should be throwing from your the drills that help you most a certain percentage of the time. And you should be throwing your change up a good amount of the time and your, your breaking ball too. It gives you a chance to touch all of your pitches and spin them and, you know, more reps equals better quality. So if you're not throwing these on a regular basis, they're not going to get better. So, but learning a curveball is very different than relying on, on, on a game. So learn it at 13 or 14. Really, I say 14 in that summer, your 14U summer. And then practice it all year. And it'll be in pretty decent shape by the time you're ready to go as a high school freshman. Because that's when you really do start to need it. And uh, you can't wait till you shave like some of these uh, orthopedic surgeons recommend. It's just not realistic in the recruiting process. It's, it's, it's out of touch with reality advice. Sure, it's better off if your growth plates are closed or closer to close or you're physically much more mature. But the pitch also has proven through research to have less stress on the, on the arm than actually a fastball because it just comes out with lesser velocity. So the research is relatively ambiguous kids that report throwing more breaking balls also report more arm pain than kids that don't and yet the pitch is less stressful than a fastball so again that's why in general the rules are to wait because it's just not exactly clear what the link is even though we do know that kids that throw more breaking balls have more arm pain
So I would say start at 14U and learn the pitch. Teach them the pitch well. Have them throw it in every time they play catch. Have them throw it in their bullpen sessions. And then they can start mixing it in into games, I'd say like 10 or 15% of the time. And you know, that's if they throw 80 pitches in a game, you know, that's 12 curveballs. That's certainly not going to ruin anyone's arm. Certainly not. But they're going to start to learn to get a feel for it. And that's going to be a good thing. And then they're going to continue to get a feel for it in practice. I think that's very reasonable, logical, safe advice. So is it better to wait? Absolutely. Is it the end of the world if they don't wait and they throw it at 13 or 12? I don't think it's the end of the world, but it also depends on how much they use it. Because you'll see some kids throw it 50% of the time. That is bad. It's just it's just objectively bad. And then you'll see other kids that just throw, they flip in eight curveballs in a six-inning game. And that's not objectively hurting anyone's arm either. Because back in the 50s and 60s, kids were throwing curveballs on the sandlot all day. So... Just because it happens one way now or happened a different way in the, in, the, in, in the past, those aren't necessarily good reasons for doing it. But again, as long as the dosage is low, especially in games, it should be fine. So I would, I would definitely suggest waiting till 14U and then only throwing it 10 or 15% of the time in games from that point on. And then once they're 16 or 17U and they are more physically developed, now they can use that pitch as they want, which is still probably not going to be more than 25% of the time. Because if you're throwing 30% curveballs, you're just like doing it wrong. You're just doing life wrong. You need to throw your change up. Uh, So really a mix in the big leagues is like 60% fastballs, 20% uh, off-speed pitch one, 20% off-speed pitch two, plus or minus. That's typically the pitch mix. Now I know they're throwing more breaking balls than ever in the big leagues, but that's also the big leagues. And so for youth baseball, 70% fastballs, 15% of pitch B, which is hopefully a changeup, 10 or 15% of pitch C, which is hopefully the breaking ball. So hopefully that advice helps. Well, that's it for today's episode of Dear Baseball Gods. If you enjoy the show and would like to support me while improving your baseball IQ, buy one of my books or enroll today in an online pitching course. Sign up for any of my courses through the links in the show notes and save 20% with code BASEBALLGODS just for being a listener. My online courses walk you through pitching mechanics, strategy, learning new pitches, and mental skills training. They're start to finish an amazing solution for pitchers, parents, and coaches who want step-by-step instruction. Pitching Isn't Complicated, my first book, is a thorough pitching manual with strategy, pitch grips, mechanics, mindset, routines, and other high-level pitching concepts. Not sure what your son is in for if he falls in love with the game? Dear Baseball Gods, the book is my memoir, a story of growing up in the game, persevering through injuries and setbacks, and struggling with identity when I finally had to clean out my locker. Buy a copy today via the links in the show notes, available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook if you just can't get enough of my voice. Be sure to subscribe to my weekly email list where you'll get updates on all my new videos and episodes. Nearly 4,000 people get my emails, and you should too. Sign up through the link in the show notes. Lastly, who do you know who can use some good advice? Please share this podcast with a friend, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and subscribe to my YouTube channel where you'll find this podcast and hundreds of baseball instructional videos. As always, hustle and stay pious. I'm Dan Blewett, and I'll see you next time.